You know, it really is amazing when you think about it, what we just sang about, that your love is strong, because some of you are beginning to understand that, and you're beginning to understand the revolutionary nature that happens in our lives when we begin to step into the journey that God's love is that strong, right? Are there some of you experiencing that? Okay, let's start with the gospel. Yeah, because when we do it, it, it's amazing. Like, we've been talking about prayer, and I hope that, uh, that the last three weeks has been a journey of you wrestling with what is prayer all about. And if you're not making the progress that you think you should make when it comes to prayer, be patient. Because uh, for many of you, this may be new. What we've talked about is, okay, now just check out this art, all right? How was that? Amazing? Wait, let's change that. Because it's an evening service. Red eye. All right? So what we've been, boy, you guys are dead tonight. Stay with me. That what we've been talking about is walking through this door that prayer is an invitation of. That in Revelations 3, it says, Jesus says, I stand at the door and I knock. If anybody opens the door, I'll come in and be with him. I'll dine with him. I'll fellowship with him. So prayer, when I pray, I'm responding to a divine invitation on my life to be in conversation, to be in communion and fellowship with the God of the universe. And we talked about several weeks ago that when we step through this door, and this is a frightening door, the first thing I discover is the one on the other side of that door, this divine fellowship that's taking place with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, in which the Son and the Spirit are constantly interceding for you. That, that those two are con- having conversations and what they're whispering in our ears that we talked about last week, they're saying, Abba, Father. That the, the ones behind this door know me completely, Psalm 139. That if you're ever confused about who you are, when you step through this door, you meet the one that's not confused about you. This, what we also find is the divine fellowship understands every circumstance in my life. And this divine fellowship also, well, let's just say it, they know everything. The divine trinity knows everything. So when I step through this to participate with the divine, I'm stepping into a world of revelation that teaches me about me, about the God that I serve, about the life that I live and the world that I live in. And last week, we, uh, we started with the Lord's Prayer. And we said, what do we say when we get on the other side of this door? And the first words Jesus says is, our Father who art in heaven. Yeah, it's funny, uh, some of you, do you remember the first time your parents went on a date and didn't hire a babysitter? Does anybody? Well, okay. Let me tell you about my experience. Because it's a funny thing, when our parents left to go on a date, it's like the minute they got in the car and pulled out of the driveway, everything became a mass murderer. I mean, everything, shadows, knocks on the, you know, anything, the air conditioning turning on, <gasps> they're in the bedroom, you know, and the whole night, we weren't going to call our parents, you know, we weren't going to freak out and call the neighbors because we were brave, but ev- everything that happened made us afraid, and we were just this bag of nerves that uh, was coming undone until something happened. One thing happened that changed everything about that night. It was when dad's foot landed in the living room of our house. 
when he walked through the threshold, our Father. And it's funny about us as believers, and some of you may be on a journey of understanding what that means. It's the first thing that we forget, isn't it? It's the hardest thing for us to remember. When we say Father, we remember that we're sons and daughters. I mean, it's easier to remember all the roles that we play. It's easier to remember our successes and our failures. It's easier to remember our shame. What's hard to remember sometimes is that you are a son and a daughter. Well, we talked about that last week and encourage you to understand what that means to meditate on that and let the Lord teach you about that. But this week, we're about to, uh, we're turning it up a notch. We're turning it into hyperdrive. Uh, if you go with me, tonight should be pretty challenging for you to understand what happens when we're stepping into the divine. And so I thought the best way to explain this is maybe a video that would give you a sense of uh, what I think tonight is paramount to. So, Amy, do we have... <clears throat> this right here is the... Uh, okay, pause. Can you pause that? That is... All, okay, this right here is the top speed uh, dragster, top thrill dragster uh, at Cedar Point. It is the tallest, fastest roller coaster in the world. Let me tell you a little bit about this uh, roller coaster. You're going to see in just a second. It goes from zero to 120 miles an hour in less than four seconds. Matter of fact, you won't be able to hear it, but when they've got you in the loading dock, uh, all you hear is a message that's repeated over and over and over and over again until you're out of earshot of it. And what they're saying is, keep your hands down, keep your hands down, keep your hands down, because they don't want your shoulders dislocated when you shoot out of the bay, all right? Which, if that happened to the guy in front of me, I'd have to admit to you, that would be awesome. Like, his hands are in your face, you know? Like, okay, Amy, go ahead. So this is a helicopter shot. That's a black screen. That's a white screen. There we go. All right. Helicopter shot. It's the tallest. Actually, very top. You can see Canada from the top up there. And you can see, you really can't see. Can y'all see the, the coaster just went up? Well, let me give you a more personal view. Here is a, here's another view of it. It's going straight up. Let's see. That is over 400 feet tall. Okay, yeah, that's beautiful, isn't it? Okay, pause it, Amy, because uh, some of you are going to experience what I'm talking about tonight like that. You're in a helicopter of your skepticism. You're in your comfortable seats provided to you by West End Community Church that you came here and you're tired at the end of the day and all you want to do is be a spectator. That what I'm about to say to you tonight, man, you, you are like steel. It is going to like ricochet. There was nothing invested at all in watching what I just showed you from a helicopter's view, right? Some of you are going to experience it a little differently. Amy, let's, some of you are going to experience it from this perspective. Uh, it started at the beginning. Maybe God just needed y'all to see this again. I guess we can't fast forward it, can we? Okay. Some of you are going to view what we talk about tonight from this perspective, kind of impersonal. You know, oh yeah, that looks amazing, intense, but it's just a video. What can it really do to us? Nothing. 
Some of you are going to step up tonight and say, okay, I'm tired of religion. I'm tired of going to church. I'm ready to step into something a little bit more firsthand. And you may experience it like this. Oh, yes. Oh, glory. But, you know, even that is somewhat protected because it's such the video. But some of you may experience stepping through the door somewhat like this. <laughs> Listen to the prayer. <laughs> at the very top she goes oh my god did you get that because what we're going to talk about tonight and I'm about to ask you a question is what is your purpose in life seriously why are you here what is the reason that you're on this planet it's a funny thing about purpose because when we have one, we understand the power of it. When we don't have one, we, down, we, we, uh, we downplay the power of it. Because we're fearful if we don't have a purpose and we don't know what we're doing here, maybe we're just wasting our time. You know, it was Thoreau who said that most men live their lives in quiet desperation. I was reading this week and I came across this, uh, this man named Ralph Barton who was a famous cartoonist This is what he put on his pillow right before he took his own life. He said, I've had few difficulties. I've had many friends. I've had great success. I've gone from wife to wife, from house to house, visited great countries of the world, but I am fed up with inventing devices to fill up 24 hours of the day. (laughs) There was a sign that was put on a business that said, gone out of business, didn't know what our business was. That'd be a sad tombstone, wouldn't it? Died, but never really lived. So what's your purpose? And some of you are sitting here this morning, you're saying, or this evening, and saying, you know, I, I think I know my purpose. But what you've done is you've actually adopted what other people have told you what your purpose should be. And even though you wear their purpose for your life like a shoe that's about three sizes too small, you still wear it because that's better than not having a purpose at all. You've dedicated your life to try to live up to everybody's expectations, but you really don't know what it means to really live who you are. So what's your purpose? Jesus starts the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven. The very first thing that he wants us to know is, do you know who you are? Because if he, if he is our Father, then we are his children. And if we are his children, then he is our father. And our father is in the house. He has shown up. He has walked through the living room door. The second thing he wants us to know is our purpose. The second statement in the Lord's Prayer is, Hallowed be thy name, or holy is your name. And what does that mean? Holy is your name. You know, what the writer there, what Jesus is talking about, he's not only making a statement about God, that God is holy, but he's also joining with the Old Testament and saying, I am praying that the fame of your glory, that your name, the renown of who you are, will will expand, that you will be glorified, 
that your fame will increase. See, Jesus was revealing a mystery to us. Let's see if we can unpack it a little bit. In Isaiah chapter 6, we see a picture through the prophet Isaiah where he was taken up to heaven. And we see that in chapter 6, verse 1, it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. So you get this picture in heaven that God is on his throne, and his robe fills the the whole temple of heaven, and these creatures with six wings are flying around the throne of God. And what they're doing is this. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorpost of the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. That these creatures, for all of eternity, are flying around the throne of God, proclaiming, holy is the Lord God Almighty, declaring his goodness and his glory. And it's shown us that the whole purpose of heavenly creatures, the whole purpose of heaven is to give glory to God. It's kind of interesting here that he talks about it shook the temple. Back in 19, it was in 1976, I went to my first KISS concert. It was Birmingham, Alabama. That was back when Gene Simmons uh, could sing. And uh, we were in the big arena there in Birmingham, and they had a couple of warm-up bands that were playing. And, uh, but when KISS came out, or should I say right before they came out, there were these massive explosions on the stage. You know, Have any of y'all been to a KISS concert? You know? Okay. All right. I think they're all grandfathers now. All right? It was clear when, when those explosions went off, the whole place shook. And what, it was shaking because KISS wanted you to know we are in the house, that we are here. The main attraction has finally showed up. Everybody's attention over here. And see, that's what we're getting here in heaven is that these creatures, they are dominating the conversation. They, they are dominating the attention of what's going on at the throne of God. It is shaking the temple so that we would understand that what's going on in heaven is God is being glorified. His name is being proclaimed. All attention is to that fact. The second thing that I want us to see is in Psalm 19. It says, uh, let me read for you a couple of verses, something that we should understand about creation, about the world that we live in. It says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour, pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. There's no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voices go out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. And what is the words that all of creation is proclaiming? What is this language that, that nature and this, this globe that we live on is doing? Well, it tells us that they're declaring the glory of God. It says, Their voices go out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens he has pitched a tent for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion, like a champion rejoicing to run his course that all this is happening because it is proclaiming the glory of God. So the first thing we see is all the creatures in heaven have a purpose, and their purpose is to bring glory to God. 
all of this earth, all of creation that we know has a purpose, and that's to bring glory to God. I mean, imagine just for a minute. Let's stop. Let's make it personal. Okay, let's make it the third ride on the roller coaster. Close your eyes just for a second. What is the most profound moment in nature that you have ever experienced? Think about that moment that took your breath away. Isn't that wow? Isn't that what worship is? Is where we go amazing? Well, what's amazing? Well, Scripture says that all that we are amazed by in nature is speaking a language that's bringing glory to God. (laughs) But it's not just heaven that has a purpose in glorifying God. It's not just earth that has a purpose in glorifying God. It's also God who has a purpose in glorifying God. Let's look at something. Uh, Amy, can you put up there Exodus 19? This is Exodus 19, and, and God is saying something really interesting here because this is uh, when uh, Israel was enslaved by Egypt, and God had sent the ten plagues. Maybe you've read that story, the ten plagues that, uh, that resulted in Egypt letting their people go, which led to the Red Sea, which led to the sea parting, and them going to the Promised Land. And the question was posed about, well, why did God use ten plagues? Why didn't God just come in and just like, you know, just like beam all his people up onto the spaceship Jesus and then kind of transplant them to the promised land? Like, why all this nonsense about frogs and blood and, you know, toads? Well, frogs and toads are kind of the same, but, you know, all this junk about boils and everything. Why all that, all that business? And God answers. He says, He's saying to Pharaoh, this is to Pharaoh, I have raised you up for this very purpose, that I might show you my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. God makes it clear. He says this whole story, this whole drama, these series of events, all of them are designed to do what heaven is doing and do what earth is doing and what God is doing, to proclaim his name, to increase his fame into all the earth. Did it work? Well, let's go to Joshua chapter 2. Maybe you've read this story where they were going into the promised land and they'd sent spies in. And some of the spies had got trapped in a city because the kings were looking for them. And there was a prostitute named Rahab who hid some of the spies. And her faithfulness in believing the fame that she had heard actually landed her in Hebrews chapter 11 where it talks about great people of faith. That's encouraging, isn't it? You know, Rahab the harlot. Listen to what she says. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to Shion and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. What's she saying? God sought his own glory, and he sought to increase the fame of his name. And the result of him increasing the fame of his name has reached our ears. And we join with creation, we join with heaven, and we join with you, Israel, and giving God the glory. 
And then she makes a deal. She goes, I know your God's the one. So look, if I help you, let's work out a deal here, okay? You're not going to forget me. Let me be in on this God thing. Then let's go to Isaiah chapter 63. This is God speaking. Who sent his glorious arm of power to be at Moses' right hand? Now we're talking about the story of Moses. Who divided the waters before them to gain for himself everlasting renown? God is jealous for his own glory. God is always working for the greatest good, and the greatest good is his glory. Does that seem a bit egotistical to you? I mean, let's think about that. God is the ultimate self-promoter. He's the one that's always working for his renown. Listen, this is what John Piper has to say about this. Because God is completely, completely happy and overflowing with satisfaction in the fellowship of the Trinity, all he does is free and uncoerced. His deeds are the overflowing of his joy. That's what it means when the scripture says that God acts according to the good pleasure of its will, of his will. It means that nothing is outside God's own pleasure. The pleasure he has in himself has constrained his choices and his deeds. That's confusing. Listen to this. Everything God takes pleasure in doing, he does. Period. And he cannot be hindered from doing anything that he takes pleasure in. Or to put it somewhat differently, all that he does, he takes pleasure in. And he cannot be kept back from doing what he delights most to do. See, the picture here is a God that is completely satisfied. He is completely happy. He is completely content in every way. So that anything he does is flowing out of his delight and that which brings him to light. And all that he wants that brings him to light, he does. Nothing hinders him from doing the things that he desires to do. Now that's hard for us to understand because all of us were born into a world where we have need. We don't know what full satisfaction means or what it means to be completely content in every way and to operate out of that contentment. But if we can imagine for a moment that that's God and in all his completeness, in all his goodness, in all his happiness, so to speak, what does he do? He pursues his own glory. He joins heaven. He joins creation. He even joins himself. For this is the purpose of all things, to bring glory to God. So what about us? That's our purpose, too. Some of you may have read the, uh, the Greek myth of Icarus. And Icarus was imprisoned by Minos. And in that prison, him and his father uh, put together a plan to where Icarus could escape. And this, uh, this prison somewhat that they had built together. And so he built uh, two sets of wings made out of feathers and held together by wax. And as he's getting ready to cast off, his father says to him, Please, son, don't fly too close to the sun. But being fascinated by the brilliance of the sun, he couldn't follow his dad's instructions, and he got too close, and the heat melted the wax, and Icarus fell to his death. And it's very reminiscent of when we read the story of Moses when he came upon the burning bush, 
that he was terrified, that he was shaken, but his curiosity uh, wouldn't allow him to run away from it. And when we're drawn to God, we have to remember that God says this about himself, that he is a consuming fire. And if we're going to draw close to God, we need better wings than those of Icarus. And Christ has given us those wings. Listen to what it says in Romans chapter 5, verse 19. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners. What does that mean? When Adam and Eve were driving the bus of humanity, which they were, <laughs> they were in the driver's seat, and I won't say whether she was driving or he was driving. You can have that argument on your way home, all right? But <clears throat> whoever was driving missed the turn and went off the cliff and 300 drop into the ravine. And they didn't go alone. They took all of humanity with them. We've all been broke. Our relationship with God has been shattered. Flannery Connor, she puts it this way. It's been an interior dislocation of the soul. Let's go back to Romans 5. And also through the obedience, through their disobedience, we went off the cliff. But to his obedience, the one man, the many, will be made righteous. That because of Christ's work on the cross, we've been restored back to the right place in which we were intended to be. That we were not only given righteousness, but in Hebrews chapter 10, it says that we have been made holy. In other words, our, wax, our wings aren't made of wax anymore. Now we've been put in a permanent place of sons and daughters, but we've also been made holy now. We belong in this divine fellowship because we've been cleansed. That which separated us from God has been removed, and now we have the living spirit living within us. And it even says in Ephesians 2, if that confuses you, Listen to this, because this is a profound mystery. He says, and Paul says, we are seated with him in the heavenlies. Even now. Why? For his glory. Here's the beautiful thing about God, that God does the work, we get the fruit of it, he gets the glory. When my kids were little, uh, we had the refrigerator covered in artwork, and I would have some of it in my office of paintings they'd done at school or around the house, and we would display it, you know, and, and we would just, we'd say, man, this is amazing art, you know? And we're proud of our kids, and we all believed as parents are going to be Picassos, you know? They, Look at that, really, that stroke discipline is remarkable, you know? And it would be weird if you came over to my house for dinner and we spent the whole night eating in front of the refrigerator looking at my kids' art, wouldn't it? You, because eventually you would say, hey, Randy, I'm tired of looking at the art of your kids, because I'd rather go hang out with your kids. See, what's remarkable is the art on the refrigerator isn't celebrated because it's the kind of artwork that's going to change the world. It's celebrated because the one who did the art is the one that we love and believe is going to change the world. So we give glory not to the art. We give glory to the art maker, right? Our kids, they did that. And we brag about them in front of our friends. Oh, look at this. They made this mug in camp this summer. <laughs> it holds water if you hold it this way, you know? It's awesome. And the same is true with us, that we have been made art. And in being made art, we, it's not us that gets the glory. We are a display of the art maker. And we give the glory back to him. It says in 1 Peter chapter 2, 
what we just talked about, about the kids' art. But you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. Do you see the art? That's standing in front of the refrigerator. Look what God has done. You're a chosen people. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. Why? That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. He gets the glory. We were made for that. That's what we have been uniquely made for. It goes on. It says, let's look at the art again. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you didn't receive mercy, but now you have received mercy, so that you may declare the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That is your purpose. That is what your whole life is about, that you would declare the praises of him. And what's crazy about that is you qualify. If you're in Christ, if you've experienced this transformation to where once you were not a people and now you are a people, you have been uniquely tooled to join heaven, to join earth, and even to join God himself in increasing his fame and proclaiming his glory. And you don't have to be in any particular place to do it. When times are good, man, we glorify the God. Man, God, you are good. This is awesome. I love this. I won the lottery. Yeah, you're amazing. (laughs) But when times are bad, I spent all my money on the lottery, and now I can't pay rent, you know? When times are rotten, I can still glorify him. Why? Because that's when I start to infuse hope into my situation by saying, God, I know who you are. Glorify you. God, I know what you promise. I praise you. God, I know that you're going to step into this situation and you're going to work this out for the good of those who love you. And I love you and I'm praising you already because in this hard situation where life is kicking me in the teeth, I'm looking to you and I'm saying, you're going to get the glory for this. So good times are bad times. When the barn is full or when the barn is empty. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's what we've been made for. And when we step out of that, like we talked about last week, when we step into the world of orphans, where we're complaining or we're wearing pride like a peacock and thinking that we've actually pulled something off, we forfeit the grace that's for us in stepping into the very purpose that we were made for. Okay, before I close, I have to say this, because I know some of you are going, come on, dude, this is like, like you tricked us. You started by saying, what's my purpose? And I got all excited about maybe you're going to give me a test at a cosmopolitan, and then I'm going to understand what my whole purpose is. I'll change my major, or, you know, I'm going to move to wherever. And Well, let me, say this, let me say this to you about God wants you to know specifically what he has made you for. He does. And I want you to know this, that God is not the kind of God who holds his plan for your life in his back pocket and says, no, really, guess again. Really, no, really, guess again. You know, some of us, when we think about the idea of dreaming and we think about the idea of purpose and we think about the idea of what your life is for, we, we approach that topic uh, like I've just asked you to dig a ditch from here to Murfreesboro. Oh, good Lord purpose what's my call what's God's will for my life that wears me out just to think about it 
Y'all sound like people, if you're saying that, you sound like somebody who's approaching Christmas morning like, do we really have to unwrap these things to get to them? Gee, who came up with this uh, wrapping paper thing? It's so irritating. Let's just go eat. Forget it. In Proverbs it says, it's the glory of God to conceal a matter, and it's the glory of kings to search it out. And I want you to know this as profoundly as I can say anything to you. God's will for your life is not something you discover. It is something that is revealed. And when God brings his revelation and his timing and his purpose, and he reveals that to you, you will know it. Because that will be the thing that you know if I walk away from that, I walk away from the very thing that God has called me to. That's why when people come to me and ask me to marry them, my first question to them is, is this God's will for your life? Do you feel deep conviction that you're going to spend the rest of your life with this person? And they, what? Oh, we just kind of love each other. Uh, you know? <laughs> I think she's cute. Why do I ask that question? Because you know what this whole thing called love, you know? You know it's going to do this. It's going to do the roller coaster thing. But when I know that God has called me into it and this is God's will for my life, I will suffer with joy in that now. Because now I have conviction. I know God has said, this is where I've called you. Serve with a passion. Suffer with joy. Right? So does God want you to know his will for your life? Is he like the God with the carrot out in front of the donkey, you know? Just two more steps. Ha, fooled you. Two more steps. Ha, ha, tricked you. Two more steps. Ha, go to graduate school. Two more. I don't think so. I don't see anywhere in Scripture where the saints of the Old Testament or the New Testament were wrestling with, how do I discover God's will for my life? I don't. What I see is that when God reveals his will for the life, the saints go, oh, no. Uh, Really, I just want to go home. That's when we need courage. Is when God shows up and says, let me show you. But let me tell you something very clear. If you don't want God, you don't want his purpose. If you've not been lost in the idea that your life is uniquely designed to give him glory, he made you that way, he redeemed you for that purpose, and is calling you into the purpose of all of creation, heaven and earth, if you've not wrapped yourself around that idea, why do you want his plan for your life? When I was a little kid, my parents took us to uh, Mammoth Cave. Have you all ever been there? We'd never heard of it before. Like, what? We're going to a cave for vacation? What are you kidding? We passed that giant ball of string like three miles back. Let's go there. And uh, no, we're going to go in a cave. Now put this light on your head and shut up. So we went on the, like the, uh, the primitive tour, you know, where the guide is telling us, you know, they lost three people already this week. Right, okay. And so we're, so he's, you know, making it scary and, so we're going in, and all you can really see is, like, uh, what's right in front of your lamp. And my brothers, I grew up with all brothers, so we're punching each other, and we're going through the cave, and we're like, I don't want to do this anymore. It's cold down here, you know? And, and we're like, what's so spectacular about seeing dirt? Well, I don't know if they still do it anymore, but then the tour guide, he had this long stick, and on the end he hooked this, little thing I don't know what it was it looked like a ball of cotton and he lit it and he went and he threw it and it came off the stick and it flew all the way through 
we were in this narrow cave. All of a sudden, it got really big. And it landed on a shelf about twice the height of this building here and lit up the whole room. And we realized we were in this massive room. I was like, okay. Mammoth, I get it now. All right. Cave. And I want to, I know it's a silly illustration, but what I'm saying to you is, do you ever feel like coming to church is a ridiculous waste of time? I mean, why not just stay home, man? Seriously. They got lots of reruns of Friends and Seinfeld going all the time. Because when we come together, we, we are screaming to our souls together, lift your face up. And when we sing together, which we're about to do, we, we like that and we throw it into the big cavern of this room. And when we step into the mystery that my life is to bring glory to the Father, it illuminates everything. Even God's will for your life. His specific will for your life. And I'll just say this, and this is a whole other sermon. But when God says, I'm inviting you into my name, now his name is at stake. And what is his name at stake for? God, you promise never to leave me and never forsake me. You promise to make me holy. You promise to lead me. You promise to work all things together for the good of those who love you and call according to your purpose. Your name is at stake in my life, and I give you glory for that. That's why it says in Ephesians that we're his workmanship. We're his artwork. We're his poetry created in Jesus Christ to do good works. Now get this. To do good works, make this personal, which God prepared in advance for you to do. God has a plan for you that he prepared long before you got here and has uniquely wired you for it. But we step into the glory of throwing that thing up into the caverns and it lights up the rooms of our lives and we say, man, when it is good glory, when it is bad glory, blessed be the name of the Lord. He is our God and he is leading us through this. Take us where you want to take us. So this is how we pray. Okay, I'm through now. The first thing is we walk through the door and we go, Father, I remember I'm your son. I hope last week you spent some time just meditating on that. Coming to God and saying, God, Father, let's just talk about that. What does that mean? Speak to me. But then Jesus says, hallowed be your name. Holy is your name. Praise you for what you've done. Praise you for what you're doing. Praise you for what you promised to do. We join heaven and earth to give you praise. Does any of that make sense? Yeah? Okay. Well, guess what? It's just church. Unless we are the church. And if we are the church, and we stand in the mammoth cave, and we got the torch lit, but we say, I'm not going to throw it. We'll just stand here until it burns out. Look, it's so cute, isn't it? Ooh. Let's don't do that. Let's step into the mystery of this. So that's why we've saved most of our worship for this time. And I'm going to ask you to seriously bring your heart to the Lord in worship. And ask him to come and meet you in this time. Ask him to hear you proclaim his name. Awaken your soul. Jar yourself out of that place that's complacent. and makes church this thing that 
a bunch of people go to that maybe you don't like. But rather this place where we join with the saints, not just the ones that are here, but the saints of old that we join in heaven and earth to declare the praises of the God who has made us for his purpose and is working it out right here for our good. Okay? All right, let's practice. Lord, you know, every time we read Scripture and we find those places where you allow your glory to be seen up close and personal, people fall to their face as if they're dead. And I know that, Lord, you haven't given us eyes that can handle staring into the sun without going blind any more than we have eyes that can handle seeing your glory and still being able to live. Oh, but Lord, we pray that you would illuminate this place. But even now, Father, that you would let us take off the old clothes of fear and the old clothes of doubt and the old clothes that feels that there is no purpose. To take off cynicism and the wounds that we have worn like crowns for so long. And let us step into the purpose of all of creation and give you praise. Experience your presence here tonight. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.